Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this don't you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song's gon' break through like Hello, welcome back dance. It is Sunday, October 2nd Mark Daly and Tim Haraney here For another Scootery F1 TSN Racing Pod Post-race mashup show Welcome to one and all On what is a very sunny and warm Sunday afternoon Here on the beautiful west coast of Canada Haraney, how's it going? <laughs> Buddy, it's dark and uh, cold here. <laughs> well, five or three hour time difference. So we're we're basking in the sun <laughs> on like, the west coast. It's, like it's nice. lovely. <laughs> it's beautiful and sunny here on the west coast. Yeah, it's not like that on uh, in Ontario. <laughs> I know. I've I've been seeing that like on my my uh, what was it Environment Canada weather app. I keep getting these notifications from when I like I had everything installed from when I was in t- uh, Ontario about a month ago. It was like frost warning, cold weather warning, and here I am. I walk around in shorts and t shirt because summer. <laughs> has been prolonged for a little while longer but <laughs> yeah we're we're back it seems like it's been a long time since the last race and you know it's it's been funny because you know it, we've had like this sort of artificial long race because of course the russian grand prix at sachi was canceled so we had an extra weekend in between there but boy were we treated to quite an action-packed weekend at singapore first race there in three years because of the pandemic and this is one of the races i was fine from a viewer's point of view it's a real grind to get through because you're going to see safety cars you know that even in the best conditions you're going to kind of come up pretty close against that two-hour time limit and uh, well without getting ahead of ourselves today there was a lot of drama all weekend long it uh, didn't rain during qualifying or the race but uh, the tracks were wet because it rained just before and it really made for an action-packed weekend so why don't we where do we want to start first of all i know there's uh, plenty of news kind of going around uh formula one so why don't we just start with uh, with quali we'll go from there then we'll unpack some of the the stuff with the uh, the, the cost cap uh, a little bit afterwards so the big news of the day is Max Verstappen hasn't clinched the world championship just yet. It's not a question of if, but obviously when. So he has now a 104-point lead over Charles Leclerc from Ferrari. He can become champion, world champion again in Japan, but he needs his uh, lead to be 112 points. And, you know, it was funny just to sort of uh, put the cart before the horse here. That, that Towards the end of the race there, you had Sebastian Vettel. Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, all running like in order. I was thinking, geez, three cars, 12 world championships between the three of them. This is awesome. <laughs> it was quite exciting racing. Anyway, so that is the the, the big uh, story of the day is uh, Max hasn't uh, clinched uh, just quite yet. And uh, going back to qualification, it was 
anticlimactic and frustrating if you weren't Max Verstappen, but it was uh, it was a bit uh, surprising because he did get to put in that last um, hot lap, and uh, you know because they didn't leave enough fuel in the car, Max ends up qualifying in eighth on row four. That was a bit shocking. You had a front row of Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez, Lewis Hamilton and Carlos Sainz, row two. Fernando Alonso in his 350th Grand Prix, fifth for Alpine. Lando for McLaren qualifying sixth, another solid qualifying from him. Uh, Pierre Gasly and Alpha Tauri uh, qualifying seventh, as I said, Max eighth. K-Mag for Haas and then Yuki Tsunoda in the second Alpha Tauri rounding out the top 10. Obviously, the big story there is Max uh, not uh, qualifying higher than he did. Tim, why don't you just break down what was obviously a bit of a bizarre scenario from a team like Red mm-hmm. Bull usually gets these, they're the leader. Like, let, let's face it, they're usually spot on when it comes to this sort of stuff and any sort of strategies and tactics. So that that was that was a big thing for me. Yeah, I usually expect them to be on the uh, sharper side of these things, a eh, daily, because for the most part, we haven't really seen them make many errors so far this season, uh, especially, you know, strategically that way and technically as well at the same time. I mean, obviously they did have, um, I mean, obviously they did, have some issues at the start of the season in terms of reliability, but in terms of like everything that happens on the pit wall and in the garage, they've been solid all all, all the way around. Uh, It was just, I think, you know, I think everyone was just as shocked as Verstappen was when he got that radio call. And funny enough, eh, they don't really even talk about it uh, over the radio, (laughs) simply telling him what actually was going on. Like, Hey, you don't have enough fuel here. So if you complete this lap that you're on, we're going to get a penalty because there's not going to be enough fuel to test. So I think, yeah, just a, just a calamity of errors on on that front, and I think like everything that's happening with the uh, the cost cap row happening off track as well. You know that kind of filters into the team as uh, at the same time, and I think it's there's been a lot going on uh, for them off track heading into the weekend. Um, but yeah, I, I I was as surprised as Max was when he got that uh, radio message. But who knows if he actually would have gotten pole if he finished the lap because he was. He was down in the first sector and the Red Bull wasn't as strong as the uh, Ferrari was in the third sector. So I don't know necessarily think he would have gotten pole, but obviously he would have qualified higher than what, eighth? Yeah, 100%. And sort of just a general comment about Max in general all weekend long. I mean, he's really been strong in the wet all throughout his uh, career. So it was just, it was very strange to see him sort of struggling and then at times looking a little bit faster. It was obvious that the car just wasn't working the way that, that, that he liked because you usually expect to see Max cutting through the, the the pack in the wet if he's not out front like a hot knife going through butter I mean he usually is really really good so that was something that really really stood out for me you know the bizarreness of that that fuel situation and qualification yeah. you know notwithstanding right yeah the track is also really tough to pass on right I mean that's why they added yes. that third DRS zone but at the same time I mean and Factor in the conditions on top of all of that because on a damp track it's very difficult to to pass somebody, but on a track that's you know completely wet, that's a different story. And then obviously you have a track that's completely dry. Again, that's a different story. But when you have those really tricky conditions where you have a bit of a dry line appearing, but then you still have damp sections, you can't really necessarily leave that dry line. Even if you are on the intermediate tire, it's still quite difficult to. Uh, pull off a move so 
I'm actually quite surprised at how high Max actually got during this race, to be perfectly honest with you, because it, it, it looked really tough to pass. I mean, even looking at Charles Leclerc, he was throwing everything at Sergio Perez, but the, you know, kitchen sink, and he was still <laughs> not able to get by him. And obviously, we'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, I wasn't I wasn't too surprised by uh, by how difficult it was to pass out there. Tim, I just want to get your point of view as a mm-hmm. driver. What is it like when you're out in conditions like that, regardless if you're on full wets or inters or slicks? Mm-hmm. I mean, we see it that there, whenever you have like a wet track like that, you see the dry line developing. There's always somebody that decides to take the plunge, first of all. Today, it was uh, George Russell during the race. And then you see, I always liken it to walking out onto a skating rink wearing your sneakers <laughs> because you're yeah. kind of sliding all over the place. But just in general, regardless if it was uh, in qualifying yesterday on Saturday or the race today on Sunday what is it what, what's the car like underneath you in those conditions like regardless if it's wet or drying I mean if the conditions are changing just makes it that much more difficult I imagine yeah just trying to you know think about driving your your car on like a skating rink or a hockey rink or something that's really slick you know it's it's that's the feeling that it feels like underneath you it's just you can feel that there's no grip the car slides around a lot and from from the dry line to the damp line, that's where you run into, hey, I'm faster than the guy in front of me. I think I might as well try this. And then you try it and you're like, eh, that's not going to work. And then you sail off into the distance. So uh, it's it's difficult to judge because, you know, you obviously are being aggressive at the same time and you need to get position. But um, sometimes you have to pick and choose when that right opportunity is. And sometimes you, you just you just can't do it. And you just got to sit at bay until things start to dry up uh, a little bit. I always find that, uh, you know, we'll use Q1 as a perfect example because the track at that point, it, you know, it just finished raining and the track was drying, but there were other sections of the racetrack that were, I don't want to call it wet, but greasy. And, and that is actually really hard to drive on. I mean, if it's full wet, then obviously you know, the wet tires, they do so much. I mean, they expel liters and liters and liters of water every second. And so having something like that at your disposal is a, you know, a huge benefit, but having that intermediate tire on something that's really greasy doesn't really work out essentially well, because there's not a lot of water that the tires actually having to remove at the same time. So it's really difficult to drive on and it's very, very slick and, and, and slippery and it's really hard to judge sometimes too i mean like you could see some of the drivers especially when they went to slap on the slicks i mean like lance mm-hmm. did it in q2 and he had a great lap going i mean he was a second up from his previous best that would have put him into q3 uh no problem but just just getting it offline just slightly and just leaving the braking just a touch too late. And again, like I was saying, just this greasy sort of pavement, that was enough for for him to for it to just ruin his lap in, in sector three and him costing him a moving on to Q3. So uh, it's just it's so tough sometimes to, to judge as a driver when you're out there on those times, uh, those kinds of conditions daily. When you put there, when you switch the slick tires, how difficult it is when when the t- when the conditions are oh. wet like that to to generate the heat? Because <laughs> it was funny because we watched George like eventually he yeah. starts setting purple sectors during the race, yeah. right? But it and took a while. Like it, it, it took did. a full it like did. a really big heat cycle to get the, the tire up to yeah. temperature. So like one of the interesting things was 
and you know we're obviously flipping back and forth between qualifying and race but for the race yeah. and using George Russell similar as similar conditions example, right yeah it's basically you know how much what's the tire pressure going to be like and if it's at a certain range okay well how many laps does it take for it to come into a window where it's going to start working and then on top of that you know how many laps do as a driver do you have to you know, really be un very uncomfortable with like, hey, this thing's gonna go in the wall here at any moment, and like, I don't want to crash, but you guys are making me see out here like this. So that is is difficult to judge on how fast the track is gonna dry because Mercedes seemed to think that it was going to dry, which it it didn't for quite a while. But <laughs> once it did, the tire the tire and track it was quite interesting because the tire and track actually met at that exact moment. And that's when you started to see George starting to like carve into the gap ahead and set purple sectors and yep. all that yep. kind of stuff. So it, it is very difficult to judge, especially with the Pirelli compound, like how much um, what's the PSI level going to be for it? Because you don't know how long it's going to take to get into the window. Yeah, I, I do want to come back to this uh, tire situation in a minute when we start talk about the start of the race, especially. <clears throat> Excuse me. But for the moment, I just want to go back and just uh, wrap up uh, qualifying. See if there are any other names that uh, stood out for you, either for for good reasons and bad reasons, and then we'll 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 move on. Uh, impressed to see Fernando qualify where he did. K Mag mm -hmm. uh, obviously qualifying in P nine, and then Danny Ricardo not making it out of Q one again. So that was a, a bit of a, a surprise. Uh, you know, a couple of surprises for me. What about yourself, Tim? For um for Danny Rick, like one of the things is obviously he wasn't running the big upgrade that McLaren had brought this weekend. So Lando Norris was the one who got the big upgrade and, you know, hearing from, from Ricardo on Thursday, he was, he was like, yeah, cool. You know, I get it. I know why I'm not getting, I know I'm not getting the upgrade and I know Fair why enough, Lando's right? getting the upgrade. <laughs> so like he was pretty cool about it, but at the same time, you know, as a driver, you're kind of upset about that because, you know, you want equal playing field, but, sure. um, the, the team, uh, hearing from Andreas Seidel, uh, Today, he told us that, yes, Ricardo will be getting uh, the upgrade in Japan. Uh, aside from that, though, not having that upgrade, I I think it, it did cost him a little bit. But again, I think also track position. When was the track starting to dry? And I think he was one of those drivers that just sort of got caught out by it because right. uh, there were there were a couple. Right. So. Um, yeah, tough one for, for Danny Rick, man, but like, Hey, we'll get to him in the race, right? <laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, his race is one that turned out uh, pretty good as it did for several yeah. other guys <laughs> Yeah, for that sure. I kind of was like wondering about how it's going to, to turn out for them on Sunday. Okay. Well, let's get into the race itself. Uh, again, it uh, apparently rained buckets and buckets about 60 to 70 minutes before the start of the Grand Prix. And it was interesting too, because as you saw, like on the formation lap, it certainly looked like the rain had really hit parts of the track harder than it did the others. I mean, obviously, it was all wet to some degree over the entirety of the course, but mm -hmm. especially around on the back, it seemed like there was a lot of standing water, yeah. some really big puddles, whereas by start finish, it just looked like it was wet. It was a damp. I just kind of got the feeling that, okay, once this gets going, once these cars get around on it, we're probably going to see the dry line on on the you know starting on the side by start finish first rather than on the back side of the track and that's exactly how it uh, turned out but right off of the start the, the two guys that really 
you know, had a bit of a tough start was uh, Carlos, or sorry, not Carlos, nice, uh, Charles Leclerc, who qualified on pole, didn't get a good start off the line and gets beaten to the first turn by Sergio Perez. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny, but it's just the way they, they kind of followed each other around for the next, well, I would say 61 laps. We, we didn't quite uh, get there, of course. But then Max get going into the anti-stall there and losing, what was it, four positions right on the first lap there? That was very unmaxed for Stappen-like. Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, I can't believe... I'm trying to think, like, the last time I saw Max, like, hit the anti-stall on a start because he's been really... I want to say like, he's been dynamite uh, on the starts this season. And oh, same with 100%. last season. Like, same with yeah. last season, he was really yeah. good. There were there were a couple, I think, that Lewis got him on. I can't remember which race is exactly in, in 2021. It's kind of a blur, but... Um, <laughs> For obvious but yeah, reasons. yeah, exactly. So, but um, yeah, no, I think for for him, a frustrating moment. Doing well though to carve his carve his way back, and I think for 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 Max, it's kind of like he has everything to sort of lose, but at the same time, he does a great job of just keeping his head because we've seen in the past where when Max sort of gets frustrated or. I don't want to say stress, but when things aren't going his way, he tends to make some rash decisions. Mm-hmm. And this speaks a lot, I think, to the maturity uh, of Verstappen this season that I have alluded to on you know prior podcasts. He has done a great job of keeping that emotion like under control. When you're in the race car, like there is a lot of emotion, like a ton of it. And you have to do everything you can to manage not only your stress, your emotion, you're you're obviously managing the race car, you're managing the engine, you're managing the tire. There's so much management going on, right? It's it's, sometimes can get quite, quite difficult. But, you know, I take my hat off to Max because I think, you know, he did a really good job of just keeping his composure and getting himself back in back into the race. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting too with with uh, Charles uh, getting a, a poor start. That also impacted the start of Lewis Hamilton, who qualified third. So he lined up uh, behind Charles on the grid, and that opened the door to uh, to Carlos Sainz. And there was a little bit of pushing and shoving between uh, Carlos and uh, Lewis going into those first couple of uh, corners. Lewis uh, kind of goes off onto the, uh, the the paved runoff area there. I didn't see anything that wrong with that. I thought it was just uh, two guys. It was at the start. The, the track was a little bit greasy. So I know that the stewards noted it and then said that no further investigation was necessary. And I thought that was perfectly okay. But what I wanted to talk about was uh, with Lewis. And I thought it was interesting that uh, after a couple laps into the race, Lewis is on his comms. He's, he's talking to his race engineer, Peter Bonington, and he's basically saying, Bono, you know, you guys made the wrong choice with the ch- tires. We should have gone with what I wanted. You guys need to listen to me on this. So apparently, Lewis wanted to go with the full wets, which would have been completely contrary to the other 19 cars on mm-hmm. the grid. W- what's your thoughts on that, Tim? Was that the right call to make or w- was that too risky? Because, you know, if if one or two other guys maybe were doing it, sure. But even if you're Lewis, that just seems... Yeah, it's kind of one of those the wrong choice, right? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things that I was saying, right? When you're in the car, and sometimes the emotions sort of get the better of you. I think for, I think for Lewis, I mean, would that wet weather tire have helped him? Uh, Full wets and those conditions. I mean, 
maybe for a couple laps, but they would have just degraded so fast because mm-hmm. there wasn't enough standing water. I mean, at the same time, like you look at what when they were running the intermediate tire, you saw them like by lap five, like searching for puddles to cool the tire so it would yeah. stop eating itself. Essentially, yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily like I kind of disagree with that in, in terms of running that wet weather tire, because I think that thing would have been toast by like lap seven, maybe like I don't think it would have had much life to it. And I think the team set him up in the best way possible where it was like, hey, this is what we got in everyone else in the entire grid was doing the exact same thing. Now mm-hmm. look how long it took before they pit, right? It took. Well, that's forever. the other thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about that is I, I can't remember. I don't have it in front of me here, but when Charles finally came in for his pit stop, I mean, there was nothing left on that right front tire. There was mm. very little tread on it compared to the, to, to the left front. Yeah. But, and that's uh, the other thing. Know, that's yeah. the other thing though. Sorry to cut you off daily. That's the other thing Go about ahead, that, that, that intermediate tire. I mean, if we remember, I believe it was 2020 Turkey. Uh, Lewis wore that. Uh, I believe it was the intermediate tire he was on, but he wore that thing down to a slick mm-hmm. and they just left him out on it. And he, I think he basically he finished the race on it as well. I think if, if memory serves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, and it held up too. Like, and that, that was one of the things. And with this intermediate tire, you had a similar scenario happening where the track was drying and you had the intermediate tire, but as the track is drying, the intermediate, yes, it's losing the tread, but it's still keeping the grip, mm-hmm. right? And it's kind of like, okay, well, now you got to now you got to understand why Mercedes did what they did, right? That's why yep. that's why his his message may, you know, he, I don't know if he was really thinking it through 100% at that point during the race. I mean, it's pretty hard. He's got a lot to manage, like I had mentioned previously. But I think the team just set him up the best way they could. And I think at some points, he was in line for like a podium at some points. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. He could have been. I mean, uh, there will be an incident that we'll get to in just a few minutes here. But I just wanted to talk about Fernando because I thought it was interesting because you get this interesting combination of wet track that is drying at night under the lights. And I remember him getting on the radio 
on the radio talking to the engineer back on the pit wall or back in the garage saying, hey, do you guys see like a dry line developing? You know, basically, I'm sort of parsing here. It's like, do you see a dry line developing? Because I can't tell here. So, I mean, it's dark, even with like the big floodlights there, but he still can't tell. He's just, you know, what the condition of the track like is right in front of him. I thought that was a really, really bit of insightful commentary out of the cockpit from Fernando Alonso. Yeah, if you're Carlos Sainz, I guess it's a different story. <laughs> he thought, <laughs> he, so. thought, he thought slicks were coming sooner. So, yeah, I mean, I know uh, he said that very early, <laughs> didn't he? Yeah, I was quite surprised, really. Yeah. Uh, um, shocked, actually, that he said it because everybody else who I was following, they were all saying the complete opposite to what he was saying. So, yep. um, Fernando Alonso is an absolute animal. And this guy does not look like he is slowing down one bit. He's a bit and of a Aston freak of Martin, nature, right? <laughs> yes. And Aston Martin are getting themselves probably the best Fernando Alonso I think I've ever seen because he just has command of that race car. And this season and last season as well, he's just really, he's just he just looks incredible, man. Like I just, mm-hmm. I can't believe his age, like factor in the age factor in, you know, what this guy has to go through, you know, tr- all the travel as well. Add on top of that, as you get older, it doesn't get easier. So yep. uh, trust me, same with the training, <laughs> trust me on that one as well. It just doesn't get easier. It's like you need more rest and you need more like good food sure. and all this other yep. kind of stuff. But he has just done such an incredible job and I, I uh, it sucks the way that this race weekend ended for him, obviously being his 350th uh, Grand Prix, uh, you know, that, that kind of sucks the way it ended. But at the same time, he put himself in such a really good position to score some, you know, solid points daily. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now we get into the part of the race where it starts to get interesting, right? Because Fernando, like you say, in his 350th race, they threw up all those stats, most races raced, most laps raced, all these impressive stats for a guy that's been in the sport for, for, for two decades. But it didn't end that way for him. He's just one of, what, about half a dozen cars that didn't finish the race in the end, started very early. And the, the reputation that this track has is it has had a safety car every single time that they've raced here. Wow. So this year wasn't any different than any other race, but it started really quickly because on lap six, uh, Nika Latifi and Joe Guan Yu had a coming together. Well, Nikki kind of drove into him and uh, yeah. then uh, broke uh, Joe's uh, right front uh, steering uh, arm. And then that put him out of the race. Then Nikki retired a lap later. And that was just like the first of a series of, uh, what do we have? Three full safety cars, three, or sorry, two virtual safety cars, if memory serves uh, correct. Fernando himself, he retires on lap 20 when his engine let go, which was really disappointing because he was looking pretty racy there. And I thought it was it was really interesting because you had that start of the race. You had Max lose the four uh, you know, four spots off of the uh, off of the start there. He kind of gets into his groove. He's climbing back up. He gets right up uh, behind Fernando, who was running, was at sixth or seventh, something like at that point. And he's keeping Max behind him for quite a bit. And then all of a sudden, there you see Fernando getting out of the car and it's just like, well, what happened? And then 
couple of laps later, you have Alex Albon go out of the race and then Esteban Alcon, his teammate, he retires about half a dozen laps after Fernando. His engine lets go. Eventually, Yuki Sonoda crashes on lap 34. And it's funny because I texted you and Hammy sort of halfway through the race because I watched it uh, after I got back from my bike ride this morning. I felt like I'd been sitting down half the morning watching this race. And then I go and look at the uh, the, the lap counter on the screen. I'm like, oh, my God, we're only on lap 37 here. <laughs> it just kept like uh, going, see what was going on and on and on. But those safety cars, it kind of made it interesting as well. But, you know, for, for a track where we see a lot of them or we see it all the time. It was more than it was than, than than usual. It was really quite quite something. Yeah, big time. I mean, just it felt like at some points there was a there was a bit of a lull, right? And then you had like some chaos, and that's one of those things, right? Where it's cautions breed more cautions. <laughs> that's exactly what ended up happening. Um, I kind of wish they had started this, you know, the race a, a little bit more when it was it was wetter. Uh, I do understand, you know, yes, safety plays a role in a lot of things and I get it. Um, and yes, you know, I get it. It's also a street track and it's harder, harder for, for them to race in, in massive downpours like that on street tracks. It's different when you get to like road courses where it's, you know, the, the track is literally built to have water, you know, run off and not mm-hmm. cool up whereas city streets is a little different. You get a lot of standing water. You get a lot of aquaplaning because of that. So I, I do get that, but at the same time, it would have, it would have really spiced it up. Like it would have been really spicy off the top for sure. And I'm not talking about crashes. I'm talking about like yeah. good, hard racing, good passing, all that kind of stuff. Seeing these, uh, seeing these world-class drivers, you know, yeah, wrestling uh, these Formula One cars around city streets of Singapore, right? In, in, in a downpour would have been cool to see. But I mean, hey, look, I get it. But at the same time, I mean, once it got into this battle between, you know, Leclerc and Perez, uh, that was awesome, man. Mm-hmm. That was, those two guys were proper racing for the lead. I was on. Leclerc's onboard camera for that whole scenario. And there had to have been at least a few times every single lap during that uh, dice that, well, they weren't really dicing, during that chase that Leclerc almost put it into the wall. Just incredible car control on the limit the whole way, both of them sliding all crossed up. It was great. It was so great. And a shame that Leclerc had to, you know, he made that mistake that he had made that allowed Perez to open the gap and kind of mm-hmm. kept it there. He did a great job of keeping it there as well. And the amount of pressure that per- that Leclerc was putting on him during during that that stint was incredible. He's putting a ton of ton of pressure on Sergio Perez, and Sergio did a great job not to make any mistakes and let Leclerc go by. Um, but that battle itself, daily, it was awesome for me to watch. I loved every minute of that. It was amazing. I mean, the the way, like you say, that these guys were really just controlling the cars in those difficult conditions. I mean, we saw Lewis Hamilton go off and put it into the Tech Pro Barry. We saw George Russell. We saw Max Verstappen. We saw so many guys, uh, you know, run off into the escape roads or go into the into the Tech Pro barriers around the course. And, and these guys were just in a bit of a class of their own today. I mean, I, I was thinking to myself that after you know watching this race, it was just like. If there were any lingering doubts about Sergio Perez having a drive at Red Bull, 
I think that any of those anybody that has those questions now can firmly strike those off their list because to me, I mean, he he just proved beyond all reason today that he deserves to be racing with that team in the best car in Formula One without question at this point in time. There, there's 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 no more doubt for me. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I had mentioned it on my podcast on uh, Thursday that it was a little concerning with just how far off the pace you know Sergio had been of Max and. Yes, I understand that you know Max was getting a lot of the good components, um, but the car itself was being tuned away from Sergio's driving style. And I think if Sergio had have shown a stronger hand uh, during this first half of the season, that probably might not have happened because you would have been talking about Sergio Perez in the championship lead and not Max Verstappen. Because when we got to the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven-ish races, I mean, that was a car that was still geared towards Sergio's driving style. It was still heavy and still created a lot of understeer, which is kind of in his wheelhouse. And Max, again, kudos. He still did a great job of like driving a car that doesn't suit his style and still making it work for him. And I think if Sergio just had have been a little more, like I said, a little more assertive in in that role, then, you know, who knows, right? It, it, it may not have gone downhill for him. But this race on Sunday for Sergio Perez is, is an incredible victory for him. Uh, I think he needed it, needed it for his confidence. He needed to show the team that he could still win, that he was a winner. Um, and I think... You know, for him, it, it just shut a lot of people up, like uh, just about him and his his driving and if he belongs in Formula One or not. Oh, 100%, 100%. Now, there's a couple more angles to this win for Sergio that I want to get to. First of all, sort of towards the the end of the race here, comes over uh, that, uh, that he's being investigated for a safety car infringement, and then he's facing a possible penalty. We don't know what it's going to be because the thing is, he's under investigation, then comes back, will be investigated after the race. And then because of that, you know, he's getting the order from the pit wall, speed up, you know, open that gap to five plus seconds uh, between himself and Charles Leclerc so that if he does have, you know, end up with this five second penalty, which seemed the most likely scenario, should he be found guilty of this infringement, that he could still keep that uh, the, that victory. So that's ultimately what, what, what happened, long story short. But the second part to this story is he managed to open up that gap on Charles but I was astounded. He was hovering in about like three seconds. And then all of a sudden he just disappeared down the road there. He was like, you know, Charles became like a dot in his, in his mirrors. I mean, I, at one point, I think he opened up about 1.2, 1.3 seconds on him in, in one lap alone. And that was just be just looking at the lap times, uh, you know, the gap between them just on the on-screen uh, timer. So first of all, let's, let, let's unpack that a little bit. First of all, Tim, just explain what was going on with the safety car infringement, and then we'll just talk about the way that he just put the hammer down and just buried Charles to make sure there was going to be any question about what was going to happen should he be found guilty. So let's start with the with the penalty. So the race director actually, actually issued a, a warning uh, to Perez, well, to the team, and the team relayed that message um, to Perez that he wasn't 
keeping within the uh, 10 car lengths regulation between turns nine and 10. So the team passed on that, that warning to him. And then later in the safety car, he was found to have done it again. And he didn't um, adhere to the 10 car lengths of the safety car between turns 13 and 14. So he'd already been given a warning once. And so the second time that was where, okay, he got penalized five second time penalty. I know Mattia Bonotto was looking for a little bit more mm-hmm. could have been, he was looking at, I think two back to back because so, of what had happened at turns nine and 10. And then again, so, later, excuse me. So 13, he was 14. like, Bonotto was looking for the like a penalty where he got like a warning. So basically doubling up on that plus the second one. Is that just for a little bit of clarification there? From yeah, like from from what I can understand from it, I think that's what Mattia Bonotto was looking for. He was looking for two five second Fair time enough. penalties. Um because of the two separate incidents. Uh now for this issue to come out as late as it did, I think it came out around 1.42 a.m. Singapore time. The race has been over for, well, well, well over an hour for them to make the decision. And David uh, David Croft uh, actually posted a tweet about it saying like, hey, you know, like here's, here's what happened. You know, Sergio got a five-second time penalty, uh, but it's also come and the race has been over for well over an hour. And I think for... Some folks, they would like to try and see this get solved sooner. Some of these, you know, penalties. Mm-hmm. And I think they make a good point because I think having something like this hang over a race is not a good thing. And the races, the winners, it all should be decided, I feel, in the in the moment as best as possible. I do understand that the FIA and the race directors, they have a big job to do. And I, I do get it. Like I get that. And they have a lot of stuff coming at them. But at the same time, I think they need to figure out how to try and make sure that these types of scenarios don't, don't happen very often. Um, because, you know, the fans are there to see who wins the race. And then, like, they're going to go home 90 minutes later or whatever. And let's say that Sergio got hit with a 10-second penalty, right? You're going to, you know, mm-hmm. the fans go out, they go to the bar, whatever. They're having a good time, their hero won, and they get home, and next thing you know, they go, what? Sergio de Perez didn't win <laughs> the Singapore Grand Prix? Like, yeah, how did that happen? Yeah. I saw him cross the finish, start finish line. Like, uh, So it's stuff like that, right? And I think like, if you can just find a way of getting that cleared up sooner, that would be a good thing uh, moving forward. Um, and But yes, you know, I do understand that it is quite... Uh, difficult to to issue these penalties as fast and as thoroughly as possible. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he uh, dropped dropped the hammer as soon as uh, you know Leclerc made a mistake, and that was enough for Sergio to just pull. It was about a one point one or one point five second gap to Leclerc, and I think it was at that moment that. Ferrari was telling, you know, Charles, like, hey, like, you can't let this guy get five seconds up the road on you because he could have a penalty here. And yeah. I don't think Leclerc, Leclerc didn't have too much tire left. Where the Red Bull's actually been, like we've been talking about all season, right? The Red Bull's been great on the race tire. They've always been fantastic this season. 
And Sergio just had enough tire left just to like keep pushing, keep opening that gap. And he did such a great job of not making a mistake and pushing. And people will wonder, well, well, why didn't he do that when him and Charles were in that heated little battle? It's kind of like, because he was too busy looking in his mirrors, right? Trying not to make a mistake, trying, you know, to keep Leclerc behind him. And so I, that's why, you know, we all, a lot of us at the end of this race sat there and we're just like, what a great job that Perez did. You know, you, you have to take your, your hat off to him because, yeah, he was incredible. He was incredible on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, let's not forget that at least 50%, if not more of this race was run without DRS enabled, right? Yeah. So as soon as they started, uh, you know, as soon as they switched over to slicks, and then it was just a question of if and not when they were going to enable DRS. And then once they did, I mean, Charles, he was like a quarter of a second, three, you know, like 0.3 of a second behind uh, Still. You know, uh, yeah, behind Sergio. And it was amazing just like how close he was at, at times there. But it was just something else there when he got that sort of three second lead when he knew that uh, that this penalty is probably going to come and sort of this is just me kind of reading between the lines here. I think that maybe why it took so long was, yes, he was going to get a penalty, but I guess they were debating, is he going to get one or two penalties here? But regardless, I mean, he just completely disappeared from from Leclerc there. And of course, like maybe like you say, like Charles's tires were going off, but that was really, really impressive to make sure that that Sergio had that uh, you know, wanted to make sure he had that that five seconds plus insurance in his back yeah. pocket because I noticed at one point that like the gap that came up on the screen was precisely five seconds and I'm just like oh this would make it spicy right now if the, the, the race ends and that gap is exactly five seconds I know that would drive people crazy because they're going to go down probably like the whole season and you know final classifications and things like that but uh, you know kudos to uh, Perez because that was really was uh, some, uh, something else there. But let's take a look now at uh, where some of the other uh, drivers finished. I'll just uh, pull up the uh, final classification. So we had a podium of uh, Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc, and Carlos Sainz. Even though uh, it was another Red Bull victory, glad to see that uh, Ferrari kept them honest, even though, like I say, that uh, that that Sergio really disappeared down the track at the end there. It wasn't an easy win for him. I mean, it was not an easy car or car to drive. The, the conditions weren't easy. And then he had Charles hounding him as well. So very impressive then. Like I say, good to see Ferrari back to podium. Sainz was kind of one of those guys that kind of ran his own race as did Lando and as did Danny Ricardo, fourth and fifth for McLaren. Really impressive there. They have Lance Stroll for the first of the Aston Martins in sixth. Max Verstappen finishes up in P7, just pipping Sebastian Vettel in the second Aston Martin. I, I really wanted Seb to stay in front of uh, Max there, but you could just tell that Max was fighting for each and every point that he could get. But still, good to see uh, double points finish for the both the Astons. They get Lewis in ninth, which was artificially low uh, for him because he had that off there and put it into the uh, into the Tech Pro. And then rounding out the top 10 was uh, Pierre Gasly, another guy that had a fairly quiet evening. I mean, there was a lot of guys that had offs, but most of the guys that finished in the top 10 had very quiet uh, races. Pierre was one, Vettel was another one, Lance was another one, Lando. Lando, we saw a fair bit uh, during the race, but uh, talk about redemption for Danny Ricciardo. We talked at the top of the show what a, a disappointment and what a frustration it must have been for him. Of course, like as you so correctly pointed out, he didn't have the same package of upgrades that Lando had. But still, I think if you're Danny Rick, I think you're going home with your chest puffed out, your head up a, a little bit. I think you got to be 
pretty happy with that uh, that P5 by the end of the day. Yeah, he hasn't had a top five, I don't think, since uh, Saudi Arabia 2021. So almost almost a year. Yeah, it could be. I mean, his best... Um, so he had a P6 in Oz, and then the only other points finishes, he had a P8 in Azerbaijan, two ninths in Austria and France. And then a Hungary and Belgium, he was 15th, 17th in Holland, retired at Monza. So it's <laughs> it's been a little bit uh, difficult. And then a lot of uh, finishes outside of the points uh, all year long. Mm-hmm. So good good for him. Yeah, because, did I mean, a really it's, nice it's, job. It's been a rough season for the guy. And, yeah. you know, this is potentially a guy that might not have a seat come next year. So, so who knows? I mean, this story probably hasn't been finished, but every day that passes, it looks increasingly likely that he won't have a, a race seat for 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 twenty twenty three. God, I was almost going to say mm-hmm. twenty twenty two here. <laughs> so years going too fast, but that's a uh, another story. So the way that it's uh, setting things up, just run down the uh, the drivers championship: Max Verstappen three forty one, Charles Leclerc two thirty seven, Sergio Perez two thirty five. Now that battle between Perez and Leclerc is getting a little bit spicy. Only two points yes. between the two of them. Then you got George Russell didn't score any points today. He had a bit of a rough day. He's on 203. Carlos Sainz, 202. I mean, these these positions in the world championship from second down to fifth, I mean, this is going to change. I mean, the, the, the question is, who's going to end up where after, as we go in through these last uh, five races? And then uh, you have uh, Lewis Hamilton, 170, Lando with 100, and then Esteban Ocon, Fernando Alonso, and Valtteri Bottas rounding out the, the, the top 10. Then a constructor side, you got Red Bull, 576, Ferrari, 439, Mercedes with 373, McLaren with 129, and then Alpine with 125. So I know it's for, for fourth and fifth in the constructors, but that could be a bit of an interesting uh, tussle between Alpine and McLaren down the last uh, five or six races of the year. Five, right? I think we got five left. So, yep. so there you go. But uh, just going back to the, um, the the final race kind of classification. Obviously, we had half a dozen uh, retirements, but uh, just out of the guys that uh, that finished, who um, who are some of the other standout stories from from Sunday evening? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I really thought that uh, that that Lance was, you know, spe- spectacular. He was great. I mean, there are there was a lot with his race that depended on his shoulders, like just depended on him making sure that he executed his race to the best of of his ability. Because the team kind of left it in his hands at the start saying pretty much, Hey, like 
The conditions are tricky, and these are the tires that we got. You got to make do with what we have. And I felt that he did a nice job of managing all of that. And it could have gone so many different ways um, for him and for the team. But he stayed out of trouble. He didn't make any mistakes. He was fast. He was quicker than Seb. And got his best finish of the season. The team as a whole has really started to come into its own here. You know, I was speaking with Mike Crack on uh, Sunday following the race, and it's just interesting to hear him talk about, well, when they brought the big upgrade to the car in Spain, they didn't really know what they actually had, and that took a few races to figure out. And then they started to bring parts to it to see, okay, well, does this work with what we have or doesn't it? By the time they got to France and seeing some of the parts that they were adding and subtracting, they were seeing like, okay, when this is on, this works, when this is on, this doesn't work and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then that, that gave them a clearer path of development. And ever since they have, they have nailed their development ever, ever since. And if you take a look at the team from where they started, which was like, almost dead last i believe in bahrain like they were at the back to where they are now you know they had a they had a q3 car they had two q3 cars on saturday which is something they struggled with at the beginning of the season and in the middle of the season was qualifying and just trying to get into q2 and then just trying to get into q3 and now they're at the stage where okay they can get this car into q3 consistently you know, if the driver's not making mistakes, obviously. <laughs> but tricky conditions aside, you know, both him and, and Vettel did a great job. I mean, Sebastian made up, I think it was like four or five spots right off the start. And Fantastic. Di- yeah. Dynamite, that, that yep. changes his race. Boom. He doesn't do that. He's not finishing in the points, man. Like, that's just the way it goes. Or he's not finishing as high as he did in the points. So there are little things like that that the drivers, you know, really brought to the table on Sunday. And I think for this team, it's moving forward, trying to keep the spend on the car, trying to keep that a little bit lower moving forward because they've spent a lot of money on it um, just so they could get to where they are and close the gap and try to be one of the fastest teams in the midfield, which they are getting to and setting themselves up. And the goal is to make a big jump in the off season to 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 the top to the top three top four top five that's the goal is trying to break into that and i think they can do it i mean the management uh that mike crack has done with Aston martin considering he's like parachuted into this thing um at the beginning of the year and that's not like an six easy- months ago right it's not an easy job, right, Daly? Just no, to get no. dumped in at the last minute, so to speak. And you're like, okay, yeah, you're now in charge of all of this. <laughs> you're <just> like, <laughs> I've never done this before, right? <laughs> so I think he's done a really nice job of like keeping the team focused for sure. But keeping them on the development path that has them saying, okay, does this work? Does this not work? And nailing, nailing that, just absolutely nailing that every time out. 
And that is what is going to get them higher up in the championship sooner. I mean, obviously they feel like they're not going to be within podium battles until like 2024, 2025, but they're still trying to make sure that they're on a development curve. But by the time they get to 2023, like they're competing into that, you know, top, top three, top four, top five sort of position in the constructor standings. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's interesting when you think about Aston Martin, especially over the course of this year and last year, it's at times been a bit of a, from, from the outside at least, and I'm sure, you know, for the people inside the team, it probably would echo the sentiment to, to one degree or another, that it's been a slow and at times frustrating development arc to watch where it's been like two steps forward, but like one and a half yeah. steps or one and three quarter steps back. But I yeah. mean, as you pointed out, I mean, they are, we're, we're starting to see signs of it now that they're, what they're doing is working. And of course, you know, they're there's the whole spend on it. But I mean, not only are they developing this car, they're developing this entire organization. Remember, this organization used to be Racing Point, which used to be um, Force India, which literally came out of a, a factory that's probably no bigger than my house. I mean, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> they're building this new state-of-the-art facility at Silverstone, which is going to be the Aston Martin equivalent no of the wind MTC, tunnel. right? No wind like, tunnel. They don't have their so- own wind tunnel yet. Yeah, I mean, before they were Aston Martin, before Lawrence Stroll came in and, and invested this vast fortune with the, with his partners, with this consortium that, that that he's headed, I mean, this was a team that consistently punched above their weight with literally nothing. But now they're 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 leveling up, and there's there's going to be setbacks, there's going to be hiccups uh, along the way. But you know, if they they keep developing, and if you keep bringing in the right people and keep working forward, then. You know, you would hope and you would like to think at some point they're going to get this thing, this thing right. But today on Sunday, great result uh, for them. And it was funny, too, you know, just talking about, uh, you know, Lance's race. It was very interesting to watch him at the beginning of the race, because as I said to my wife, Lance is driving this car very delicately. And you could tell that, you know, he was not risking the car more than he wanted to. And sure, he was being conservative, but you just got to like, I'm trying to put myself into Lance's headspace inside the car thinking, you know, I'm going to be in this car for two hours, 61 laps, whatever comes first. I'm playing the long game. So if you these guys want to go bananas and lap one and put themselves into the uh, into the tire barrier, you know, you know better luck to them. Yeah, Anyways, I one, think, yeah. Sorry, well, go ahead. One go of ahead. the other things, yeah, one of the other things with with Lance, you know, he gets a lot of crap on uh, social media, obviously, um, but his qualifying performances and how he's stacked up against Sebastian Vettel this season, he's. He's, he's done a really good job. And, uh, you know, there are some points where he's been a lot faster than Seb has this season. Um, mm-hmm. and, I mean, like, look, I mean, Seb's no slouch. Like, you know, I rate Vettel very high, <laughs> very high. And, uh, you know, Lance has been keeping pace with him and sometimes much faster than him. I, I think Fernando is going to be another benchmark that, Lance is going to have to hit. I think Fernando is going to be that driver that's going to either push him to going to push Lance to another level to get to another level mm-hmm. or is the opposite. So I think, I think that's, that's a smart move by Aston Martin. It's a smart move by Lawrence Stroll to go and get, you know, Fernando because he's also not only going to push Lance, he's going to push his team because if we take a look at Alpine, and I would really like to talk to Al- about Alpine really quickly. Um, sure. Because again, they kind of done similar things where it's like they've been developing their car throughout the season. They haven't stopped developing the car. They brought a brand new floor. 
um, for their car for this weekend at Singapore. Uh, Fernando seems to be happy with it. He thinks that they're getting the right data off of it. Um, he has pushed that team so hard in terms of getting what he wants, getting what the car needs onto the car as fast as possible. And I think that's another one of those things that Fernando's going to bring uh, to Aston Martin. He's not a patient driver and he will push them. And I think that's going to be, that's going to be huge. That's going to take even the team to that next sort of level. You know, if you're Lance, I mean, you 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 must be thinking we get like teammates like first Seb and then Fernando coming in. At first, you must be thinking, "Oh crap!" <laughs> but at the yeah. same time, you must be thinking, "Oh man, this is awesome too." But that, that's that, why that, you're get... in Formula One. You get you race exactly. against the best, and you got to yep. beat the best, man. And that's why exactly. you're there. Hundred <laughs> percent. Okay, I just want to finish the, the the race recap here on a couple of quotes. First comes from uh, Will Buxton, who said, "Quote: What's the point of having wet tires if the wet race starts are always delayed by the FIA until the track is so dry that you don't need to use them?" End quote. And the, spe- the second one is a quote from Motorsport.com. This is Lando who told uh, Sky Sports, "Quote." This was by far the hardest race probably of my career, not because I had to hold off too many people, but just the level of concentration you need from lap one to the very end is incredible, end quote. So two good points from Will and from Lando, so we'll just uh, leave it there. We wanted to talk now about the the, the cost cap. I'm going to just uh, read another quote here from Karun Chandok, and Karun has to say, quote, the cost cap row is very important for the FIA and can't be underestimated. If RBR are correct, Red Bull are correct, the other teams will expect a clear explanation that does doesn't undermine the system. If guilty, the penalty will set the precedent and will determine how much of a risk teams will take, end quote. Now, this uh, kind of goes, sort of adds on to a quote from uh, Total Wolf, who said it's an open uh, secret that uh, that one Formula One team has massively broken the cost cap. So now I will zip it and I'll let you take it from here, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> you want a piece of this? <laughs> okay, so... Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, let's take a look at it. Yeah, well, let's, I mean, maybe not a ton of people are up on this story. So let's kind of, let's kind of slide into this thing nice and easy so we can get everybody up to speed on everything that's going on. If we look at it, if you go all the way back to 2021, Formula One introduced first ever cost cap. And by March, teams were filing their financial forms um, that had to do with how much spend they made during the 2021 season. So it's kind of like filing your taxes at your year end. Formula One brought this cost cap in for a number of different reasons. It's very, and I said this on SportsCenter, it is very important that Formula One did this and it's very important for Formula One that they did it. And the amount of hours that you know Chase Carey spent just getting these teams into a room just to talk about a cost cap and what that guy had to go through to get everybody to agree to a cost cap and to sign off on it because... In the Daily. middle of a pandemic, nonetheless, we have been yeah we have been watching Formula One where teams just spend, dude, just spent, just spent. They literally are saving these teams from themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are 
helping the competition gets get closer, which offers a better viewing experience for the people at home watching on TV or in the grandstands who pay good money to come to the races. But they're also helping these teams generate uh, revenue for themselves. And some teams at the end of every season, they don't actually make money. They either will lose money or they break even. That's not mm-hmm. a sport. You know, it's not owning something, right? You, you need well, to be making money Well, it's not the point of business in general, right? You, you exactly. go into business any line. You go into business to make a profit, right? 100%. To make money, yeah. 100%. So the cost cap comes in, and you know, it's rumored that there are two teams that have gone over, gone over the, the 2021 cost cap. It's being speculated that it's Aston Martin and Red Bull. And it's being speculated that Aston Martin is in what's called a minor breach. So it would be um, overspending the cap. I believe it was about $145 million for 2021. Um, but it's less than 5% of going over. So that, that's a minor uh, overspend. And there is a major overspend of more than 5%, which is called material. So the material penalties, and they range from quite a few. There is a laundry list of them. There's a deduction of drivers and constructors championship points. There's suspension from one or more stages of a competition. Uh, suspension from an entire competition. So potentially of the year that the spend that you went over in happened. Exclusion from that championship and reduction of the cost cap for that team. So I'm assuming with that one, that has to do with years coming up. That's what I assume from that. Now, it is again, you know, being theorized that that's Red Bull. Mm -hmm. But I heard from Christian Horner on Saturday, and he is adamant that they haven't done anything wrong and that they have um, adhered to the cost cap. But if you listen to some of the other team principals, like Total Wolf, and we heard him on Sky Sports, actually, um, you know, he believes otherwise. And he feels that they they have gone over. And hearing more from Christian on the Saturday, you know, extremely upset that um, obviously he's he's sticking to his side, but the fact that what Toto was saying, you know, that that's not being said to, to him. So there's a bit of a miscommunication there. And obviously this is Formula One and it's the paddock and everybody talks and there's rumors and the rumors spread fast. Um, but I think it's important in listening to a lot of the teams they're they're really serious about it daily. Like it's, it's to the point where it's like, why bother having a cost cap if you go over and if you do go over and let's say there is a team and we should know more by Wednesday, that teams get their certificates. And if a team does go over, and the penalty that is issued is not really that harsh, then what's stopping everyone else from just blowing past that cost cap 
And I'm not going to say everyone else because there's not a lot of other teams that can even spend up to the cost cap. Well, right? that, that's you've the got, other thing, right? Yeah, yeah you've yeah. got your bigger teams who can spend up to that cost cap, but then you've got your other teams like the Williams of Haas. They can't spend up to that. They can't get to that $145 million or $140 million for 2022. So listening to the teams, a lot of them feel that, you know, these the, the, the punishments that are on the table, and there are quite a few, this thing has some teeth. And they leave it in the hands of the new president for the FIA, Muhammad Ben Suleim. And I think he, for, for himself being that new president, I think that's this is the time where if there is, again, if there is a team that, that has gone over, I think this is the time where he has to throw the book at somebody. And I think well, that's yeah. what you have to do. Well, yeah, I mean, he's um, basically like a, the freshly minted brand new president of the FIA. So this is going to be a statement about what he stands for as president. And, you know, if he comes off too light, you know, he'll be seen as a uh, you know, bit of, a, you know, too lenient. If he throws the book at whoever, then, you know, maybe he's going to be seen as really harsh. So it, you know, there's, there's some think, big decisions to be made. But I think it's that, right? I think it's, I think it's that the... I think it, the, the rules need to have teeth. You know what I mean? Like, it's got to be something that you're not going to push up against. It's got to yeah. be something that really scares the team to even get close to it. Because as soon as, like, this thing doesn't have any teeth to it, teams are just going to keep pushing that line. They're going to keep pushing up to it. And they're going to keep going over. And they're going to find ways of, like, getting around certain spends on certain things. So I really think that this is very significant and that if this has happened, and we're not saying that it has, but if it mm -hmm. has happened, that there needs to be an example made. Well, it, it's interesting, right? Because when you hear the comments uh, by Toto and he's just, uh, he basically said, quote, as a matter of fact, we have all of us have been investigated diligently. And as far as we understand, there's a team in minor breach, which is more procedural and another team that is fundamentally massively over and that is still being looked after. So that's an open secret in the paddock, end quote. So, I mean, he hasn't come out and specifically said Red Bull, but, you know, like you say, I mean, it's rumored to be alleged to be Red Bull and Aston Martin. But I guess there's kind of like the knock on effect, too. It's like, if you spend more and you have all those uh, resources that uh, that uh, that you're you're putting that you're using that money for right to the development, I mean, there's kind of like a snowball snowball knock on effect from from one year into another to another, right? Yeah, and so so that's what I think some folks fans um, are kind of getting lost on. So if a if a breach has been made in the cost cap in 2021 and the certificates don't get issued until 2022, so then what happens to the 2021 season? You know, do you go back and undo all of that? Or mm -hmm. is this more something that affects the future? And so, again, you know, listening and hearing from a lot of the teams over the weekend, a lot of them feel that. You know, if you're overspending in 2021, if you're going over the cap in 2021, that money actually is translating into 2022 and 2023. That's where that money is starting to go. It's getting funneled that way because you're going into development of that. So 5%, I think it was around 7 million. Mm -hmm. 7 million 
uh, again, listening to some of the teams, it sounds like it equates to about two to three tenths worth of lap time because you can basically hire more engineers as well. Right? You mm-hmm. can hire more engineers. They can work more hours. They can figure out um, more ways of generating more performance from the race car. And we're not talking about that current race car. They're talking about the cars that are going to be happening in the next six months, the next 12 months, the next 24 months. And that's kind of like where your development curve goes, right? And so, you know, that's what a lot of the teams are having the issues with because it's performance that affects the future. It's not performance that affects the current or the past. It's performance that's in the future. And that's basically, I think, where a lot of the team's concerns are. Yeah, It's going to cost them a ton of money to close that gap, right? Yeah, yeah, great point. I mean, the money you spend today isn't going to affect the car today. It's going to affect the, t- the car tomorrow down the road somewhere. Yes. But, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, you've, you've got Toto saying some some pretty inflammatory things, you know, kind of, he's not out and out saying it, but, you know, he's kind of like leading you in a certain direction. Uh, Christian Horner has uh, said that those, uh, you know, accusations are hugely defato- uh, defamatory and fictitious. He's threatened to sue uh, Toto and Mercedes, so who knows if that makes them uh, back off. They seem pretty confident. Max being Max, uh, you know, when he was asked about it, he had to say, quote, I know where the speculation comes from, so for me it's okay. When I hear it from the team, yes, I'm confident. Of course, then the other teams start to talk about it when they had no information. I find that a bit silly, so just keep your mouth shut. So, Max, tell us what you really think. <laughs> no, but- <laughs> It's it's interesting. It's it, it could potentially be a, a big week of news, so we'll just have to keep following this story and see how it breaks uh, once uh, more comes to light. But yeah. uh, a hugely important uh, moment in time for for Formula One, and also for uh, Mohammed bin Sulaim, the uh, the mm-hmm. FIA president, to kind of underline uh, things. But. Uh, yeah, interesting. And of course, you know, we, we should end the show here with a bit of a lighter note because you shared a really funny tweet in our group chat. And there was uh, some some Photoshop of the Spice Girls and Jerry Halliwell, Ginger Spice. I, I just Googled this. Hold on a second. Was also, for, no. Hold on a second. But before you get into the full tweet, I am not the one who created the tweet. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to point that out. <laughs> I was going to say that was your one. I just said that you, yeah, I sort of said that you shared a tweet I that you found, but uh, yeah, you shared a tweet that you found, but it was funny because, uh, you know, Jerry Halliwell, who's uh, Ginger Spice, it was uh, to- or, sorry, Toto's, pardon me, Christian Horner's wife has been replaced by uh, <laughs> by Christian with the with the nickname Spendy Spice. So I thought that was, uh, you know, quite, you know, amusing. I'm sure Christian probably doesn't, but some people uh, obviously have the time and the sense of humor to do these things, but like uh, F- obviously- I think F1 memes are probably some of the funniest stuff out there. They've been getting, like, some of them are so good. They're so, so good. creative. So oh, yeah. Like, I could spend an hour looking at some of them, man. Oh yeah, so that that was that was really good. That made me that that made me LOL. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. To use the, the like the appropriate uh, lingo. Hey, but Tim, this was awesome, man. Thanks yeah, again like for, for doing this. So uh, as we wrap it up, just remind everyone where they can find you online, where they can find the TS sure. Racing Pod, all that good stuff. Yeah, if uh, you want to listen to more TSN Racing Pod, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, please head on over to Spotify. Give us a, a five-star rating and a follow. And the same over on, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, write a review. Give us a rating. Subscribe. Uh, it helps us a lot. helps us grow the pod. Um, if you want more from me, you can get me at Tim Haraney on all forums of, of social media. 
Uh, but yeah, daily, like always, uh, this is a good time. <laughs> yeah. And we get to do it five more times. Japan coming <laughs> yes, up uh, next sir. week, which is always one of my favorite uh, circuits yes. uh, to watch. Yes, my yes. wife asked me today, she said, you, if you could pick one race to go to next year, where would you go? I said, Japan, Japan. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I'd love to go to Suzuka. I mean, I, I, I have it burned in my memory that 1988, uh, Japanese Grand Prix that I watched as a kid, Senna and pros going into the chicane just before the pit entrance there and tangling up there. That was, uh, we all talk about some of the moments between Max and uh, and, and Lewis last year, but uh, Senna and Prost, they had uh, a, a pretty nasty relationship too. So that was an iconic moment. Anyways, for, for myself, uh, you can find myself, Mr. Mark Hamilton. We're the Scooter F1 Podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, etc. We'll be back on Thursday. Tim will be back with more TSN Racing Pod this week. And of course, we will be back together next weekend to do a mashup after the Japanese Grand Prix. And until then... Guys, thanks very much. Enjoy the week, and we'll be back to racing again before you know it. So bye for now. 